This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now, you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. They can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip Cocktail Book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore na. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. These are available in Canada and in US. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and This Family Tree 10. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on This Family Tree podcast, episode 129. 129. 129. It feels good. How's that new theme song coming along? Well, it's coming along, but I have realized that there are some things that I have to do after the chunk of time that's in the next two weeks because I was starting to get really stressed. So I'm fixing things after this chunk of time because then I will have time. Bullsh bit. But Shane, before we get into that, I want to give you a toast. We are doing Seedlip Garden 108 and Tonic, keeping it light, keeping it fresh and fun. Oh, yeah. Right? It's a classic. Yeah, I like this. This is good. Good non-alcoholic cocktail. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have a... Great episode. I wanted to interview Gina Wilder for months and months, and I am so happy that we were able to sit down. She makes the cutest reels, TikToks, everything with her family. Like Her family is just adorable. She has five kids, which already is a feat, and one of her children is adopted. She's a virtual twin, which is a term I learned and you'll learn in the interview with her other daughter, but it was transracial adoption. And I first heard of Gina because I was reading an article about how people comment on her in public when she is out with her white daughter, Gina is black, and people, you know, come up to her and think she's the nanny and make these comments. And Gina just really approached everything with a lot of grace and insight. So I was so happy to sit down with her. So we talk about adoption what's that what that's like how you handle it how you answer some of the children's questions we talk about transracial adoption which is a little different kinship adoption and obviously i mean parenting five kids because that is something i cannot even fathom like i just can't fathom it i can't even picture what it would be like <laughs> can you it's hard for me to fathom parenting two kids <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i'm shocked i wake up and i'm shocked that we have two children uh, to keep alive and happy. Yeah, less than the fact that it's so difficult. It's just hard to believe. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, I made you? I, it's just mind-blowing. I know. I, I feel like a child in so many ways, too, that I'm always baffled that I'm the one in charge. Like, it seems... Some like it seems like something's off. It seems like there's something wrong and I'm doing something illegal, but I'm not. I'm just an adult in charge of things. Are you shocked that you're alive? 
I don't know. That, I guess. Does that never shocks you? That you, you know, like, you know what? I think I've come to terms with that over the last 33 years. Like maybe I went through a phase in, when I was like 18, you know, staring at the stars and being like, how did I get here? Kind of thing. <laughs> well, wow. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Just simply being here. I know. What well, does that pass your brain often? Yeah. I was just watching uh, while you were cooking dinner. I was watching Norm Macdonald clips in the other room and someone did a documentary on him and he talks a lot about how ridiculous this is, all is, like what we're doing right now, just being on this planet. And it got to me. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is weird. We just all act like this is so normal, but yeah, quite I guess mind-blowing. Also like sitting here talking to my husband, recording the conversation and then putting it out for other people to listen yeah. to is weird. How is this microphone working? Like what? So we, we come to the planet mm-hmm. and just nothing's here, but all this stuff under the ground just can somehow with enough ingenuity make this <laughs> microphone, which, and then the internet can be made and television and cars. And it's just pretty wild okay when you me being here whatever but when you start getting into technology and things like that that's what blows my mind if i sit here with my cell phone and i'm like how can i see a picture of my mom moving in time as i talk to her on facetime when she's in a different country and i'm like it just it doesn't make sense to me that kind of thing does not make sense to me and it hurts my brain to think about like a phone call even right? Phones have been away around way longer than FaceTime. I cannot fathom how my voice can yeah. go through a thing <clears throat> and somebody else can hear my voice so far away. Like it just, it's so weird. And how do they always know to figure out how to invent the worst thing or the worst thing first? Like if you had to choose between listening to a radio or watching a TV, you'd, you'd be like, oh, I'd like be cool to see moving pictures. But they invent the radio thing first. But then maybe we'd have moving pictures with no... Well, I guess that's what we had. We had moving pictures with no sound. Yeah. They couldn't yeah. figure out how to combine the two. How come someone couldn't just be like, oh, I could figure out the pictures and I'll attach the sound. It's it's perfectly designed where things are just rolling out at this weird thing. So, okay, wait. I'm just... I'm trying to see when radio was invented i just put in radio into google nothing's coming up but i know sound in movies and tv was 1927 i think oddly we talked about that recently on this podcast when did radio come like it it must have been out because people in the wars they were radioing right yeah radio came out first for tv people would just sit around and listen to the radios no it's wild it's wild technology really freaks me out especially oh my gosh and this is gonna be us in two weeks from now but or a week from now when we get on an airplane right and an airplane carrying tens of thousands of pounds in weight is just able to happily go up in the sky and keep us in there and take us across an ocean or whatever how the hell does that happen i don't like to think about it i like to just think of them as like safe boxes of you know, just being close to other people for a little bit, like just safe air buses, I guess, which is what some planes are called, right? Yeah. Yeah, it freaks me out. And I know, Shane, like I'm not I'm not scared of planes or anything like that, but if there is bad turbulence, it does get to me. And I know you don't love flying. What is it about airplanes that kind of freaks you out? Well, hurling towards your death is scary. <laughs> the idea yeah. that you could explode at any moment. A bird could get caught in the 
thing. How that, see, how is that even possible? Oh, they, they fly up there. You Timing's just perfect. Yeah, but I mean, like you'd think if a bird went in the, the thing, the propeller, the propeller would just mash up the bird and it would be fine. Some bear, birds are big. There's Big Bird, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> no, he couldn't fly. What kind of bird was it that hit Fabio on the roller coaster? That was a goose. Yeah. Was it a goose? I think so, yeah. Not a seagull? It was a goose? It was a big bird. I know that. Geese I, are big. I, yeah. It was a big goose, though. So for people who don't know, Fabio was uh, on a roller coaster. And he, when he came to the part where all the kids are waiting to get on the ride, when his <laughs> ride is finishing, he was just covered in bird blood. <laughs> and he kind of broke his nose. It was this, It's kind of a funny picture. It's tragic, too, because a bird obviously lost its life. <laughs> But Fabio's head is what killed it, which is kind of funny. The funniest you know. thing is you taking a moment for the tragedy of the bird's life, which I, I understand that is sad, but that's also just, it's kind of funny. Well, you don't care about birds. We all know that, Alex. Yeah, now I'm everyone a bird does. hater. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one thing everybody knows about me. But Shane, I want to talk about Mother's Day. We just had Mother's Day this past week. It's kind of a crazy week. And your birthday and Lucy's birthday coming up in a few days so it is like a big celebratory yeah my birthday's back my birthday was gone for so many years and now it's back with a vengeance having a daughter who has the same birthday as you really revitalizes things because my birthday's so close to mother's day it gets buried i'm embarrassed to celebrate it i'm embarrassed to steal thunder and even when i there was a time when i wasn't embarrassed and wanted the thunder and wanted the acclaim for my birthday I just couldn't get it because moms are such a big thing in everyone's mm-hmm. life. Moms are like the superstar parent. Moms are Michael Jordan. Dads are Scottie Pippen. <laughs> it's just how it is. Dads might even be Luke Longley. I don't know, depending on which dad you are. But most moms are Michael Jordan. And they get celebrated and little boys cannot go to little boys' birthday parties. And a little boy, let's just call him Shane, often gets left alone and none of his invitations get, you know, carried out. And sometimes only one friend would show up to this little boy he's named Shane's parties <laughs> and give him a little bit of a complex. This is all theoretical. <laughs> but anyway, now that Lucy, you have to celebrate a four-year-old's mm-hmm. birthday. A four-year-old's birthday is transcendent. It cuts through so mothers fun. and everything. And moms want to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. And parents, they want that time at the birthday party to just have kids look after each other and... Maybe you have a Coors Light standing around having a name conversation. So people are going to have to come to do that with Lucy. And then, oh, yeah, Shane's there. We better get him a gift, too. I mean, it's a double thing. So I might be getting gifts also from other people. I don't know. I, I actually shouldn't be expecting that at all, but it could happen. Um, I am so excited to celebrate your birthdays. And I want to get to that in a second. But I do want to talk about Mother's Day because... Just the expectations versus reality. So, I mean, I had a great Mother's Day. The reality and my expectations were just like hugging happily all day long. It was a really beautiful day. We kept it low key, and it was it was honestly just the best. Um, as nice as it all was, the funny thing happened. So Shane ordered these flowers from Bloomex. Fuck Bloomex. I know. Okay, I got the CEO's name. So you can say F to him directly. His name is Dimitri Laconia. Well, F Dimitri Laconia. 
I know. But Shane, tell the Terrible story. Terrible business person. About, because you realized pretty quick, even before they came, you're like, Alex, I ordered you flowers and I think that they actually might be a scam. The second I ordered them, one, the discount is too much. It's like $100 flowers, 50% off. Right. And I just got this icky feeling in my stomach. As But I'm panicking too because <laughs> fellas order the flowers early and I just, things happened. I got caught up into this cycle before I know it's Thursday. Ordering flowers on Thursday before Mother's Day, <laughs> typical guy move, I'm going to call it. Mm-hmm. I go on the Bluemax site. Site just looks weird. You know how European sites just look a little different? Yeah, yeah. There's like that weird cheesy, it's like a flyer, but it's online type of vibe. So that vibe's putting me off a little bit, but I am more motivated than I am being cautious. I go through, I hit enter, 140 bucks, whatever, get the flowers. Instantly, like I pay for the like super delivery. So it's supposed to come between 9 a.m. and 12, which costs an extra 25 bucks. Heart sinks the second I hit it. Literally, the second I hit it, I'm like, I just got scammed. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, I'll call my credit company to cancel this because it's probably not been processed. But I'm like, no, I'll call Bluemax. They have a hotline. Right. This is the new move with scam sites. To make you comfortable, they put a hotline at the top, like 24-hour hotline, talk to us anytime, live chat, 24-hour chat. And they make it feel like they're super accessible. Right. Yet there's no real like email and you can't really ever talk to a person even in the live chat it's a bot it's kind of a sophisticated bot it knows keywords if you say refund it's like blah 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 we have to contact a manager i finally i i call a person on the line and i ask for uh, i'm like listen i did this seconds ago i did this order seconds ago you have to cancel it now for me i i actually made a mistake i said i was going to get my mom flowers but my wife said she got my my mom flowers he goes, oh, unfortunately, oh, yeah, we cannot cancel. That's full. That's hilarious. And then I get into this big conversation, and I, I'm scrambling. I start saying I work for a documentary crew. Shane. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, listen, I know you're scam. These aren't going to show. And then they're gonna, if they do, they're going to be all wilted and everything. And by the way, I'm recording this conversation. I'm just <gasps> pulling out weird things. And I'm just in it. I've dug myself right. in and I'm now an investigative reporter and I'm playing this role. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I'm, all, I'm just, I actually hope these don't come. I say, <laughs> and I'm going to like, I'm doing a, a story about this. So I just want you to know, everyone knows Blue Mix is a scam. And this is going to, I'm going to blow the door open on this. Mm-hmm. And I start like being kind of weird and like laughing at him and then he's kind of laughing at me and he's this french guy he's a little weird too and uh yeah i'm like shit so this conversation goes on way too long it's 22 minutes of me playing this cat and mouse game and he clearly knows i'm lying even was like he's like did you just order these by mistake or what what's actually happening and i wouldn't admit that i was an investigative reporter so the jig's up I'm, i'm like gotta go Call the credit card company. But what's happened? As I was talking to this guy, he processed it and put it through. So it was in limbo before I called. So I should have called the credit card company first. They're like, oh, this just got pushed through uh, as an official transaction. He did it out of spite? No, I think he just knew that I was going to flag this as a scam. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. It wasn't out of spite. It was out of desperation to get the sale. So knowing I can't refund it. So- 
there's this to to make a fraud file, you have to cancel your credit card. Uh, it takes three to five days for them to send you a new one, set it up. And it can throw your life out of orbit, especially if you have a wife who can't be trusted with a credit card and you have everything like Uber Eats and Uber attached to your credit card, all these things that we, you and I yeah. rely on. And I can't, you know, you're not trustworthy. I lose things. That's what he's meaning. Like, I'm not like going to go like shopping and blow all our money. I lose things so quick. You've never had a credit card though. No, I've never had one. But so what are you talking about? It's because you, you told me because you couldn't be trusted with one. Well, I don't know. I just, I probably <laughs> I'd probably lose it, but I can be trusted with one. I'm sure I just never have. If you lose your credit card, just call it in. So let's get you a credit card then. I like not having one. Why? I don't know. I have the number on yours. I'm good. I'm. But in situations like this, it would have been very handy because I right. can still file this for, for a scam, but I do have to document everything. So I've been taking pictures of every email they send me. When the flowers came, I took a picture of them. They looked hilarious, obviously. Like the picture on the flyers, this big, beautiful bouquet. And what came was like three dandelions. <laughs> I asked them to uh, do a card that said, This is from Lucy and Betty. We love you so much. Just comes on this sh- shitty printed out, like this piece of paper, like, I don't know, very small. And it just says, Love Betty and Lucy on just ink. Normal ink paper, nothing fancy. They're not even pretending to try. They're doing less than the bare minimal, knowing that they've got you where they want you. Well, what was funny is that the flowers that they sent, it's like not only did they get damaged in transit, which they did, but like whatever, you know, that happens. But the flowers themselves, you could tell, were already damaged before being put in transit. Like the leaves, the stems that they gave me had all these brown holes in them, like a bug had gone onto them. The flowers themselves were just totally smushed, like way more than that could have been done in the mailing process. I don't know how Bluemex gets away with it. It's, I know. I, I don't know. Like the sad part is mostly women listen to this podcast, so... They're probably not, men are not enough men know about this and they prey on desperate (laughs) men who procrastinate and are in a panic and they just prey on that knowing that they, you know, when you think you're going to disappoint your wife, you'll do almost anything to get out of just that passive aggressive behavior that some wives happen to be good at. (laughs) Anyway, I, the second I knew the scam happened, I just said, I got to throw money at this situation. Yeah. I got to make Alex happy. So I went to the mall and I just bought you a bunch of stuff. I'm definitely not complaining about that. That was amazing. This stuff is amazing. That's the only reason you're saying you had a good Mother's Day. Because I I was not able. The morning, I woke up at six. You sleep in till nine or whatever. But the kids were being terrible. Yeah, but Shane, that was on you. I didn't hear it at all. Like I was upstairs. I had the air conditioner on. I could not hear a thing. When you came downstairs and you came down 15 minutes early, which is a no-no too, (laughs) because only come down at the time when the man is expecting so he can get everything laid out. The house was just messier than it's probably (laughs) ever been. You probably thought you were going to come down and the house might be clean, tidy. Maybe something would be in the right order. No, the house was just a mess. Smoke was everywhere. Food, kids crying. Lucy just bumped her head. It was a terrible scene to walk into. (laughs) 
I'm supposed to hand you a glass of grapefruit juice and a coffee. The grapefruit juice didn't come. I ordered it from Sunset Grill or some diner like that. It wasn't the egg and I. It might have been Sunset Grill. It could have been Sunset, yeah. But uh, it, it just, they didn't give me my grapefruit juice. And uh, look, it was like the flower, Shane. The fact that you ordered them and really wanted to do that. Like the fact that you thought to order grapefruit juice, which is my favorite morning drink aside from coffee, but it's not often that we have it, right? Like we have it if we're going out for breakfast, which is very rare now that we have children. Uh, I feel like it's not something that we really have done since before kids, but the, th- the thought was there and I appreciated that. So I'm upset that the house is a mess. I know that's important to you getting it all tidy mm-hmm. and I don't have the juice. So I just leave the house and I say... <laughs> I don't know. I'm like internally combusting. I'm having a panic attack of some sort. I just go, I have to go get something. (laughs) And I know you'll probably be like, ooh, he's probably getting me some special gift. I just start going to stores looking for grapefruit juice. (laughs) Tim Hortons doesn't sell it. Big B doesn't sell it. Shoppers. That's shocking. 24-hour shoppers doesn't have grapefruit juice. You'd think somewhere in the store would. So I just buy tonic water. Or not tonic water. Kombucha. Which was great. Yeah, and I'm just like, hey, here's a kombucha. You're like, what? I'm like, here you go. <laughs> then I give you the all the gifts, and then you started acting like it was a good Mother's Day. It was the, the best. Gifts. And so, plus, I got a million hugs, which was, you know, amazing. So, fellas, women might act like, oh, don't give me anything. Flowers is fine. They want the gifts. I know. I've seen the chats. I've been privy to Alex's chats and her in her, um, I don't want to say girl, women group, right? And it's like, oh, did your husband go do the shoppers run, the discount shoppers <laughs> run? Or did he do the, uh, what's the other one they do? Uh, it's like chapters, Indigo. So they talk about that. And like Indigo is a good place, but it's just looked at as guys kind of copping out. So they notice and they want gifts. And if you throw a lot of money at it, you're going to have a happier wife. I'm sorry, but it's true. You know, so what I find is that, yes, that is true. But then the other end of that is if you create something that is really meaningful. Impossible. Like, Throw money at it. Yeah, I can't you No, know, One of my anything. friends had a video made for her of all these really beautiful moments. And she was like over the moon. And it, it like it was really, really beautiful. Like her husband put in a lot of effort. The iPhone edits that shit for you every week. <laughs> I know the guy you're talking about. Come on. You don't think I know behind this? It's, your, your iPhone does that. Okay? I didn't know you knew who I was talking about. Come on. I want to see these chats too. I could throw a a, a video together. All you want is some Lululemon shit. And I'm telling you that video is not going to do anything. Um, But this was a day of, you know, expectations and reality essentially coming together and meeting. And I really did have a great day. Did you see the video? No. Did you? No. I don't want to see the video. (laughs) Bitter. making me look bad but listen listen no you don't look bad Shane you look great on Mother's yeah, Day yeah no me. shit I made you look great on Mother's Day you look awesome in that clothing I bought you you know I do I really love it sorry it for all the swearing good. I'm just fired up right now um but one thing that you know where my expectations did not meet the reality on Friday nights so like you know a couple days before Mother's Day Shane was like Alex you gotta check out this spot you gotta check out this pizza spot it looks amazing I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, my God, it does look amazing. We got to order from here. They have, what is 22-inch slices? Is that how big they are? 
I showed you that on Sunday. No. I, I only got the hankering on Sunday for that. I never showed you that. Sunday was Mother's Day. We got it on Friday night. When did we get the big pizza? Friday night. Oh, I thought we got it on Sunday. No, no, no. That was Mother's Day. We oh, got okay, uh, sushi. Right, right. But, okay. So we got this 20, I think, inch slice of pizza. Right. And it looks like crazy. No, we got it on Saturday. Because Friday night, it, it, we had our normal Domino's pizza. You're right. And I was just right. double craving pizza. I know this is very boring getting the date right. <laughs> but every Friday we get pizza. But then we got pizza two nights in a row. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It was tasty. It was fine. But expectations on that did not meet the reality. I think I was expecting just like a big sloppy Ninja Turtles looking slice. And it wasn't that. I thought it kind of was. You did? Yeah. See, it wasn't sloppy enough for me. It was kind of sloppy. I was eating it from the bottom where it was extra sloppy. <laughs> you started eating it from more of the top because I was so excited. I was cutting crazy on the bottom, and the bottom was awesome, man. Oh, see, that's good to know. It's called original pizza. It's fascinating. It, it'll blow up your Instagram if you put a, it on it. I And I have it on my Instagram, uh, ShaneDaddy83, for <laughs> people who want to follow me. I'm desperate for followers. <laughs> uh worth it in my opinion original pizza right yeah there, yeah it's it's one of these pizza places you can get a million different types you can get like detroit, detroit style deep dish and the menu is seemingly endless yeah. bagel everything bagel pizza with jalapeno but that pizza was shit we got an everything bagel pizza out of curiosity yeah it was terrible whatever. the big slice they need two and a half hours notice to make it very worthwhile in my opinion just for the spectacle of it and tastier than alex is leading on you know what the spectacle of it was worth it in itself like you get anybody a 20 inch slice they're not gonna care what it tastes like they're just gonna be so happy that it's happening because it's hilarious but that's all it, i gotta say on pizza that. two nights in a row is what messed that if you had the yeah. hunger you have on friday night for that's pizza true. you were just thinking uh this is gonna like make me a little pizza out yeah no, I, I agree. And Shane, are no. we, you can see the time I can't. Are we ready to go to Gina? Sure, let's go to Gina. All right. But before we do that, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity, and they make the best basics for almost everybody in your whole family. They make amazing clothes for kids that are soft, comfortable, timeless, and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. And now they have their women's collection, M and West. So just like the kids' clothes, these are soft, comfortable, and simple clothing. They're made out of French terry, and like everything else in Mini Miosh, it's ethical and sustainable. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low-impact, non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it, and they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. That's huge. This is one use per customer, so buy a lot. And this is available in Canada and the US. Again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. We are also supported by True Earth. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been in the process of reducing our environmental footprints in ways that make sense for our family. And one way that we're doing this and that has been so effective is by eliminating single-use plastics in our household. 
Because with two kids and just so much garbage and laundry and everything between the four of us, you know, it kind of starts to overrun your life, all these plastic things in our laundry room. Oh my gosh, it was like a plastic detergent bottle graveyard. It was a disaster. So when we discovered True Earth laundry detergent, we have not looked back. This detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips, which you simply rip apart and just toss in the machine. It is so easy. And the best part is that there's no plastic. The packaging is so compact. And because of that, the look of our laundry room has drastically changed. And as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin, we usually get the baby detergent because it's fragrance-free, gentle on everyone's skin, yet still so tough on dirt. However, now Shane and I have been going for the Lilac Breeze detergent. It's new and it smells absolutely amazing. So check out True Earth detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You're going to love this product. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get to our interview with Gina Wilder. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? You know what? To be totally honest, I have me and the kids are in the middle of COVID and it's been like a hard three days so far so okay I'm happy to be on with you I gotta say this is my first break from parenting in a few days so this is like this is super nice (laughs) I'm sorry it sucks we had it last this last December and it was the hardest thing everyone's sick everyone feels crappy and and it's like this whole I feel crappy. I need somebody to take care of me or at least need just a break. I don't even want anyone to take care of me. I just need a break. And you can't even do that because you obviously have to take care of your other kiddos and your husband or your spouse. And that's even hard too. And so it, I remember it's, you're doing it, mama, though. You're doing it. The spouse it. is sometimes the worst, like worse than the kids, right? You get that <laughs> I remember a couple of years ago, we all got the norovirus oh. and I had just given birth. So my baby was not even like six weeks yet. That's right. Scary. That's scary. And I saw to feed my toddler. I was nursing and I hear my husband, he was walking out of like the bathroom into like the living room, to just sit on the couch. And he's like bent over and walking like an old man. And I'm just like, why are you walking like that? He's like, I just can't like it's just so hard. I'm like suck it up, Buttercup. I'm nursing the baby, feeding, making food, and like you don't see me bent over, like walking around the house, like this is. <laughs> and so we still talk about it to this day. <laughs> He's like, so uh, I realize I don't want you taking care of me in my old age because you're just gonna be like I'm old too. It's <laughs> a good point. It's a real good point. But Gina, I am so glad to finally get you on this Family Tree podcast. I've been chasing you for a little bit and you are a very busy woman. Your family is like three times the size mine is. You have a huge (laughs) social media following and you just renewed your vows, which I want to congratulate you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was our 10 year anniversary. 10 year. And you guys have been together for a lot longer than 10 years. And I actually, I want to start our conversation here. I love a good love story. So I want to hear <laughs> you and Drew, how did you meet? How long have you been together? So we actually met at 17 years old and we were at a church camp. And so that's where we met. It was like what you can think like awkward, like <laughs> church dances where you're holding each other, but like not super close. No, leaving room for the Holy Spirit, Gina. Yes. 
<laughs> so you already know. So it was the most uh, like awkward, but like perfect. Like it was the most innocent and wholesome way we like met. Which, like, if you think about my husband, he's like the most goofy, nerdiest guy ever. So it's perfect for him. And um, we met at seventeen. We didn't start dating right away, though. Okay. We uh, we actually he chased me for five years. <laughs> what? Wait, why? Yes. Did, why didn't you give him the time of day after that awkward uh, church camp? It wasn't so it wasn't that. So after church camp, we lost in contact with each other. He wrote his number in the back of my little like church little agenda pamphlet where you share numbers. Yeah. And he has horrible handwriting. So he was he was made to be a nurse. So he had horrible handwriting. I tried to call him, couldn't get like a hold of him. So I kind of gave up. And so that he uh, ended up about a year later following me on social media. He found me on Facebook. And uh, from there, he's like, hey, uh, like every couple of months, he would just call me and like talk to me and just chat. And then every year on my birthday, he called me and wished me a happy birthday for five years. That's adorable. Did you guys live in the same area or? No, we, so I moved around a bunch. I went out West to go to school for college. And then for jobs, I would end up moving to a lot of different States. And so he stayed in uh, Alabama for the most part, and then ended up for like a summer moving to North Dakota for like a job opportunity there for a short period of time. And so he, for five years, would call me, check up on me. And then later I found out he was just waiting for me not to be dating somebody <laughs> so, so that he could like finally make his move because we, had, we hadn't stayed in touch for like after church camp. We hadn't stayed in ch- touch with each other for a year. And in that time, I started dating people. So then and he just kept waiting. So like when he was talking about social media. See if I was dating somebody, which is call pretty much put a plug in to let him like let me remember like he's still there. And in that time, I just kept thinking, here's this really sweet, sensitive guy who just loves talking. (laughs) Oblivious. Not reading in between the lines. No. And because I thought, well, man, if this guy likes me, because I I think he's gonna for sure ask me on a date. And he's thinking. I'm not gonna like, I see her going on dates. I'm going to wait for her not to be dating anyone. So then I can make my move. Hold, I, I got a question here. I, I got to yeah. re- step in. Did you ever, after you were to get together, give him shit for taking so long and being so passive? Yes. Good. <laughs> I kept saying like, if you had just asked me on a date, I, I liked him. We knew we liked each other, but then because he waited so long, I just thought he was just a nice guy who I thought I read the signals wrong. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe mm-hmm. he didn't like me. Maybe I just was interested in him. And I thought, well, here's a nice guy who's really sweet, who just loves to chat. It's sometimes nice to have a nice, like a good friend who just just likes to just chat. So I, once I found that he had a crush on me all this year and had been waiting for me not to date, I'm like, that was five years we wasted where you just <laughs> chat, talk to me on my birthday every year, every, to like, to a T, every three to four months, he would call me and just, how are you doing? How's life? How's school going? And we, I just got lucky one year. I don't know if it's lucky. I, I know it's not luck. I know it was, it was how it's supposed to be. But I was traveling across the U.S. from Arizona to Georgia to go back home. And I was supposed to be traveling with my girlfriends. 
and they all ditched me. So I'm like, I don't want to travel across the U.S. by myself. Mm -hmm. I need to get back home. And he's like, I'll do it. And so I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll drive with you. So he got a plane ticket from North Dakota, flew to Arizona, one-way ticket, drove with me all the way from Arizona to Georgia. And so, and I say it in like cities. So we met in Mesa, Arizona. And we started a road trip there. Then by the time we got to Dallas, Texas, he told me he'd like me the whole time. By the time we got to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, we had our first kiss. And then by the time we got to Atlanta, we were officially dating. This is adorable. See, and this is why I like a love story. This is the best. That is so sweet. And you know what? I got to say, as an outsider, it sounds like he made up for that passive five years (laughs) because that's a bull move. Saying he's going to take a road trip with you, that's a bold move. That is, and he's he's a very bold person. He's a person who loves to take risks, um, completely opposite of me. Because once once I realized, like, I thought he was not interested, I just kind of left it. Mm -hmm. And I was never going to pursue it. And he's a very bold person. He loves taking risks. He's extremely bold. It does not make up for the five years that we lost. (laughs) It doesn't. I keep thinking I I had my first. I just had my first baby in my thirties. Oh, well, not my first. It's my first in my thirties. I have four other kiddos, and it was hard. If we had started earlier having kids, I could have been done before thirty and never have to go through like being older, tough on my body, gestational diabetes. I know, uh, you know, it doesn't have, you don't have to be older to have gestational diabetes, but I do feel like having older, being older and having more kids in my, uh, being older or being older. I don't know. I'm going to stop right there. I'm just going to say it was just harder. No, it it is. And it it does raise your chances for things like um, gestational diabetes and Mm -hmm. just lots of other things that you don't want to put up with if you don't have, I get that. I get that. Both exactly. my kids in my 30s and it was not a fun process. I have friends that are it's having their kids fun. late 30s and, you know, there's so much that they have to keep in mind. But you guys, I mean, from that funny, cute beginning to that, like really beautiful road trip that could probably be made into a movie. Uh, you guys <laughs> now have a big, we have five kids, five. right? Five kids. And you, I like when you first go to your Instagram page. It says the modern American, all American family, the modern all American family. And it's funny, Shane and I, like my husband, we were just watching last night a, a documentary called White Hot. It's about Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. Have you seen that? I have, I've only seen one episode. I haven't finished it like at all. It's so interesting. It's good. It's really good. And uh, it, it goes and it details the all American person. And then when I think of the all-American family, you know, society, we think, all right, four people, white mom, white dad, they're straight, two kids, boy and a girl, everybody's blonde, blue eyes. That's the all-American. You forgot the dog. And I forgot the, the dog. Of, of course. We need the golden retriever, right? Yes. <laughs> and that's and that's the all-American family. So the modern all-American family, I think, is such an important vision and an important way to be shifting. And clearly, you are helping to spearhead the visibility of that shift because you are so outspoken about it. And do you think from what you see, is society finally starting to shift happily in that direction, especially with everything in the last two years or no? I feel like 
for some, they're happily shifting and some are begrudgingly shifting in that way. I know that it's happening whether we want it to or not. There are more families, are multicultural families, uh, like mixed multicultures, more interracial families of two different races. It's happening more, but like because of what I do being in social media, but then just being part of an interracial marriage and just living our lives, we get the comments of like people who are not happy about it, who think it's wrong. And so I do know it's happening more and more. So we are shifting that way, but then we will always, at least in my mind, and maybe this is just the pessimist in me because, or the realist in me, I just know that there will always be someone who, even though there are people who think it's great and it's great that we're going in this especially like the countries going in this way we're we're becoming more of like the quote-unquote American dream melting pot um there are always going to be people who think well like this is too much and it should be the way that it was before um but yeah I do feel like we're we're shifting that way and you know I'm in Canada so we're just outside of Toronto mm-hmm. but it's it's the same problems the same societal problems the same shifts that you guys are experiencing we experience here like we're essentially sister countries and I think yes. that, you know, what may be um, just seen more prominently in the U.S. is only because you guys have more people in it. But we have the exact same problems, the exact same, you know, institutionalized everything that you guys have in the mm-hmm. States. And people sometimes forget that in Canada or they turn a blind eye to it, which I find happens in the U.S. as well. But let's let's get into why you're the modern all-American family. What makes you modern? I know you have a, it's a biracial marriage, transracial adoption, which is the whole concept of adoption is something that I'm dying to speak to you about during this interview. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, And you have five babies. Yes, we do. So we have a nine-year-old, two eight-year-olds, and then a five-year-old, and then our baby just turned nine months old today. Oh my God, God, Gina, I'm tired just hearing that. (laughs) I'm tired with two. <laughs> Good for you. God bless you. And what I want to ask, adoption, I read, is actually something that's really significant in your husband's family specifically, right? Like it's not new to to your husband, at least. No. So my husband's mom, biological mom was adopted. His biological grandmother was adopted. His aunt was adopted and his biological uncle was adopted. We do, we're pretty sure there might be more um, family members who are adopted on his mom's side because she had siblings who were all placed in different homes or maybe in the foster, who were in the foster care system, but um, she hasn't been able to locate them all. And so it was adoption pretty much built his whole family um like like I said even his um, biological grandmother who he never knew Mm -hmm. um she was adopted as well and so it was pretty prevalent in his family so was that something that was always on the table for you guys then like him coming from a family with so much adoption was that something you guys were always like yeah like let's do this you know I'm so grateful for it whatever so from the very beginning it's funny so when we were dating, obviously we never talked about it until we got engaged. And uh, it was kind of like this simultaneous thing of like, all right, I need to talk to you about something. Oh, I need to talk to you about something too. And we were thinking of the exact same thing, like, hey, adoption is something that I want to do. So adoption is something that um, is non-negotiable. How do you feel about it before we go any further? Mm-hmm. And he, I remember when we started talking, we're like, wait, I want to wait seriously 
because I was having this, I was about to have this conversation with you. This is the reason why I wanted to talk to you. And so once we got over the initial shock of, okay, th- this is something we both want to do. We're kind of like, okay, how do we want to go about it? And for us, we kind of decided no matter like if we have biological children or not, we definitely want to adopt. And then um, we also talked about like how we wanted to adopt, where whether or not we would um, like if we wanted to search for it or not. And we re- essentially like prayed one day, and this is after we got married, and we kind of got the impression that we wouldn't have to go looking for it. We wouldn't have to, it would kind of come to us, which essentially is what, what happened. We ended up adopting my husband's biological niece. It came to us. We got a call one day saying if we didn't want to make, like, we'd have to make a choice pretty quickly or she'd be put into the uh, system. And, and we made the decision, like, it was kind of like, oh, this is the day we've been kind of waiting for. And uh, we ended up driving from Illinois all the way to North Dakota. And, and we had just had a baby. So our, uh, my youngest daughter, she was three months old. So we drove, I think it was almost, it was, I want to say it was like 14 or 20 hours, somewhere between 16 to 20 hours from Illinois to North Dakota. And we drove and we got there and it was, it was, it was of like, it was a crazy, crazy year because we had a baby. She ended up joining our family. And then about three years later after that, we ended up officially adopting her. Oh, wow. So how old was she when you made that big road trip to get her? This, so she was uh, almost three. So she was like two and a half. And then when she finally joined our, like she was living in our home, she was like two weeks shy of her third birthday. And did you guys have a relationship with her prior to that? Or was that your first time meeting her when she joined your family, essentially? So we had met her once beforehand. She was three or four months old. So she was really, really young. I I had met her once, but obviously... Um, that was pretty much the only like relationship we had. We met her once. It was about for like one or two days while um, like we we met like the whole family. It was like kind of like a family reunion and that was pretty much it. So that was the only time I had met her. She obviously didn't remember meeting me. And it was crazy because she lived in an area, North Dakota. There's not a lot of black people there. So I was probably one of the first black people she had ever met. And you and you became her mother. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it was a really interesting um, first couple of months because she, I mean, she, it was really funny. She started talking about the differences in our skin color because I could, that was when I started realizing I was probably one of the first Black people she met. And we lived in Atlanta at the time where she was meeting a lot of other uh, people of diverse like um, backgrounds and um, races. And, and she was like, my skin is white and like my hair is blonde. And like, mommy, your hair is black and you have like dark skin. And I'm very open. Like we talk about race um, very openly in our family. And I'm like, yeah, like mommy has really dark skin. And like uh, at the time, this is before um, we had officially adopted. So I'm like, your cousins have like lighter, like lighter skin, but they're not white. They're like in between. And so it was, she, she really fixated on the differences, not in a negative way, but she's just so amazed by the differences and like, like our hair color and our hair textures and like everyone, like just how different everyone is. And I felt like it was so good to 
not only see how like she was so fixated on it, but such in a positive way, just, just realizing the differences and just being, just wanting to vocally just Mm -hmm. talk about it and well, like you said, like, you know, being one of the first black people she's ever seen, it would have been confusing probably to her. And kids like to categorize things. They like to say, yes. okay, this is this. I am this. This is that. And there's no negativity to it. You know, people assign negative negativity to it when they get older and when they learn you know, racist habits or racist thought patterns mm-hmm. or whatever. But for a kid, it's not. It's just categorical. Right. And there's nothing it's just wrong. Noticing. It's just, yes, we see it in such a innocent, wholesome way of like, it's like when we look at like, like someone who like, you know, children are able to see people who are disabled. Mm-hmm. They're able just to see like, man, like, like I have, like, I am able to do this and this person's not like, that's different. And it's usually parents are like, don't talk about it. Yeah. Don't say anything. Let's keep going. They put that shame and that negativity on it. That's when they begin to think, well, mommy did. And mommy felt really uncomfortable talking about that. Mommy felt really like I could tell mommy wanted to change the subject. And so when people think like talking about the differences, it's what like pushes um, this negative, like, like they think like talking about the differences is the reason why we have so much racism in this world. In reality, it's not us not talking about it and putting such a negative ideas and put shame on it. That's what pushes where, that's what pushes us to, to feel like we can't talk about it, but and secretly continue perpetuate this whole idea mm-hmm. of racism that doesn't happen, but it really, really does. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I think about that first, what that first year must have been like for you. So, what you you said you had a three month old baby. I okay. had a three month old baby. Okay, so a three month old baby, and not only that, and that with an- two other children is difficult as it is like so difficult right because mm-hmm. every baby's so different that's I only have two but what I realized with my second I was like oh she is nothing like the first and what I did to soothe the first and keep her happy and make her smile is different with the second so you're learning how to parent kind of all over again in a way and then you're bringing in a child a niece essentially uh, at that at that point right who is already her own little person like if she's just around mm-hmm. three years old, she has already had an experience behind her. She's already had positive and negative experiences. She has an idea of family and she's got her own personality that you've had nothing to do with, right? And that can be so difficult taking on even like babysitting or like if you're at a park with your friend's kids and your friend's kid is like acting how your kids wouldn't and you discipline them in a different way than your friend would. Like it's it's tricky. And I can't imagine the situations that would arise. Like how how did you deal with that? Because that's a lot of newness at one time. So the first two years was probably the hardest. I remember there were days where I would call Drew and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is extremely hard. Like, um, it was hard. Um, my, I, what we ended up doing was we all went to therapy. Like, uh, if, like the kids too? Uh, so my daughter went to therapy the, our daughter who we adopted she went to therapy and then drew and i both went to therapy my daughter had to deal with a lot of trauma and i was having to raise a baby raise my other 
two older kids and then also raised my daughter who had had essentially like a whole life before us as she's dealt with all this, all this trauma and then even if she hadn't dealt with a lot of trauma just the trauma being taken away from your parents is a lot you need your life is one way you've known it for all your whole life and all of a sudden it's completely changed and so navigating trying to figure out like how to be a mom to a newborn baby with two other kiddos then this new child joins our family and she is dealing with a lot of stuff a lot of days it was really hard for me my husband was working at that time I was just a stay-at-home mom or not just a stay-at-home mom because that's a lot too so I don't want to say it like that but I was staying at home and like like I said I had nights where I called Drew I'm like Drew I need you to come home I can't do this this is really really hard and the two things that pretty much got me through it was just like the re- remembering, like I chose this, I chose, like I it didn't, I didn't what was it pushed pressured into adopting. I it wasn't just one day. I like she just joined our family. I had no say in it. The strength of knowing, like I chose this and I would choose it again because I'm getting to help this little girl be able to be brought with her family and have a good loving home and help her feel safe in the best way I know how, like I chose this. And then also therapy, like learning like, okay, how to help a child who's gone through trauma, how to help a child who has been taken away from her parents, uh, how to help just like what, how to help like because triggers that I was starting to have mm-hmm. where like there were days that days where she just had a tough time and she didn't know how she was a little kid. She didn't know how to handle certain things. And I was able to not only figure out how to help myself to be a better mom to her, but how to help her help herself. Mm-hmm. And it was a rough two years now looking back. I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I did it. And because um, like now things are like, not to say things are perfect and it's a fairy tale, but like now I'm seeing her improve where she's like, oh, mom, I'm having such a hard day. This is really hard. And like, that makes it, it makes it a lot easier because before she, when she was little, she didn't know how to express what she was feeling. You could just tell like she just was feeling off. And now that we're, she's been able to get the help that she needs, but I was able to get the help that I need. Mm-hmm. Now when, if she's having a bad day, I realize it's not, she's having a bad day, but it's not about me. She's not having a bad day to make me feel bad. It doesn't make me a bad mom. It's just who she is the 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 things that she's gone through and she's learning how to process it in the best way that she knows how and and maybe that day she may be whining or maybe that day she may act out and but that doesn't have to that does not it's not a reflection of who I am it's just a reflection of what she's been through I think you said amazing boundaries. I have trouble sometimes doing that with myself and reminding myself of those things and I need to. It is so important. You know it was difficult for you. And how did your kids, because your, your, your daughter was the same age as your mm-hmm. new daughter, right? And yeah. I mean, bringing in a baby, like when my daughter, my oldest was two and I had my, my last baby. And that was tough. Like she went through months and months of like tantrums and getting used to the baby. And it was difficult, right? It's a big change. So I'm interested to know how your kids reacted your oldest and your middle when you had a baby and then, you know, their cousin who became their sister in the family. Mm-hmm. So her twin sister, I call them twins. They're virtual twins. They're, um, they're the wait, same wait, is age. that, is that an actual term? Cause I've seen you use that before virtual twin. Yes. 
So a virtual twin is, so both of them could be adopted into the same family. So they're not biologically related, or one could be biologically related to the parent. And then the other has been adopted into the family, or in our case, they're biologically related, but they don't have the same parents. Uh, But it's all about being um, the same age within the same, within about nine months of each other. And they're reared in the same family. And so it's called virtual twins. They've done studies on it where they've seen some similarities to identical and fraternal twins. And then some that things that are just um, like characteristics just for virtual twins. And so I call them my twins. It angers a lot of people. (laughs) Why? Why do you think? I have no idea. I think, well, some of it is because um, I think a lot of twin moms who think, well, I, I, I went through this, um, I, I'm different or I am um, special and I went through this where I had to get delivered and I put my, like my health on the line. And in reality, me calling my girls twins doesn't take away from your, what you've had to go through and doesn't take away from your twins. Um, I also get people who are angered because I think they feel like they're being duped or that I'm giving misinformation. And I'm just like, look, you guys, this is not even a term that I came up with myself. Um, scientists, they they have recognized it. If you have an issue with it, that's on you. But I'm going to continue to do me and, and, and do what I do. And my girls are, um, call themselves twins as well. Mm-hmm. And so they sometimes will dress themselves the same. Not always. I mostly do it. I love it. But I dress my whole kit family as a matching but like when they would go to school they would be like oh my twin sister she's in that other class we can't be in class with each other because we talk to each other and then we're not going to listen because we're not going to want to we're not going to want to do work we're just going to want to play with <laughs> so my mommy thought that uh, we would be better and we would learn better if we weren't in the same class and so what they would do is I made sure I got two teachers who went to lunchtime at the same time so that they would have lunch together and resource or recess together. And it really helped because they were able to focus and do well in school, but then still got to have those fun um, little moments at school at the same time as well. And so like a lot of the things I know a lot of twin moms have to deal with whether or not they have to put their kids in the same class or separate them so that they can have I've had to deal with too. And so, like I said, a lot of the things that other twin moms have to deal with, we have to deal with too. Some are very like typical twins and then some of them are just things that we have to deal with being having virtual twins. But um, her sister um, had a rough time in the beginning because she was used to being just the only girl Then she got a baby sister. And then she had uh, like a family member who's joining and all her twin sister wanted to do was follow her everywhere. Like anything she ate, like her sister's like, I want to eat that too. Um, she would go to sleep like, okay, fine. I'll take a nap too. I realized afterwards her, her sister was just trying to cope with like, oh, here's someone that I feel like I can connect with. She's the same age as me. And then my uh, daughter, my biological daughter was just kind of like, I was used to doing things on my own and now I have someone copying my every move. It was really hard in the beginning. Now you could like, I mean, you couldn't even tell, like they, they love playing with each other sometimes. And okay. Sometimes not sometimes a lot of the times they'll purposely block their younger sister and older brother. Like we're not playing with you. We want to just play with ourselves. We just want to play with our squishmallows. No non-twins allowed. 
kind of thing. And so in the beginning, it was rough, but now like they do really, really well. We actually have them in separate bedrooms. So that has helped. So they, it's, they don't feel like they're being forced to be with each other. I think they are, they just feel like, okay, like that's my best friend. She understands me. She likes the same things that I do. So that was, you know, that was one of the hurdles we had to deal with. And then my older son, he, he's kind of, he was very welcoming and very easy. Like he was just kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool. She just another, like, like he said, he's like, we have another family member like to play with like this is awesome and so they fight more now because he's figured out like my role as a big brother is to pick on my sisters of course um and he's doing a really really good job on it like (laughs) a plus I mean the fights that they have every day he said that's my job and he's like I'm gonna be the best at my job there you go and 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 my youngest uh daughter she, I mean, she doesn't even remember a time that she wasn't a part of our family. He, she, she only knows it as like, my sister's always been there. So the, my only, the only ones that remember a time without her there is my two oldest. All right, Gina, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Bravado Designs. Bravado Designs make the best bras. Like I got introduced to them when I was nursing. So I, you know, know their nursing bras first and best, but they make everyday bras now. So they make the best bras of all kinds you can get your hands on. Their nursing bras are amazing because they're just so easy. They're so practical. And we get into it this episode about nipple chafing. And these were the only bras that were actually comfortable on those parts of me when I was, you know, nursing my babies in those early months. But their everyday collection, again, same comfort, same softness, and just gorgeous quality, gorgeous look. They make you look good under a t-shirt. They got it all. So check them out at bravadodesigns.com or head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree for 20% off your order. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And now let's get back to our interview with Gina. So when it comes to talking about adoption, because she is totally integrating your family, of course, and, but you know, there are those categorical differences, like we spoke about where it's, you know, in some families you see where kids have been adopted, it's like, you, you wouldn't know, right? Maybe they don't even mm-hmm. look alike, but just the fact that they're all white or all black or all whatever, you don't, you mm-hmm. don't question it. But yeah. the fact that there is such a big difference with skin color as a transracial adoption, is it so, is it a conversation that's like prevalent all the time, or how do you how do you address that within your family? So I, there are times, like in the beginning, right when we she joined our family, is we talked about it a lot, and we talked about how we look different. Then when, right after we officially adopted, that was a conversation we had a lot as well. And now it's, it goes in waves. Mm-hmm. There are times that we talk about it. And then there are times that we focus on other things. I do, like I said, I do make it where I, I, may, I let them know mommy's always comfortable with talking about it. So if there's ever a time you want to talk about it, let me know. That's totally fine. Same thing with Drew. We will always make sure that they feel comfortable talking about it. And then there's no shame about talking about race and differences in, in our family. So like I said, it just goes in waves. I think the in the year 2020, 
Um, that was a time that we talked about it a lot more. Obviously, they knew things were happening. They saw bits and pieces from the news. I also don't feel like I didn't want to shield my kids from it. I made sure as much as possible to keep it to their maturity level, but I didn't want to shield them from everything because in reality, whether I shield them from it or not, they're going to have to deal with racism at some point in their life. And I knew that even my daughter, my white daughter, she would have to deal with prejudice um, just in the fact like, people would find out she has a black mom and came from a, people would be angered or feel some type of way about it. So we made sure that we don't hide it. Um, But like I said, in the year, in 2020, we did talk about it a lot more than we ever have. And that was a time that even Drew and I, we had, we realized as our kids were getting older, we were going to have to find like better ways than like the, like, when they're little, you want it to be simple, but also to their maturity level. But as they were getting older and asking more questions, we realized even us with, uh, with the type of, like, as knowledgeable as we were, we were needing more information and we were seeking out and we were all learning together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes to people around you, is is there ever confusion? Is everybody just like, cool, doesn't turn a blind eye? Or do you run into issues? when you're out and about we run into issues yeah, people I, mean, <laughs> people's, I mean I mean I don't know if you saw I just posted a, a reel not too long ago maybe it's been two weeks where it's it's like the Miami 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 where you see a mom you see like you see somebody talking about a certain topic and then all the um usual feedback they usually get from it. And so mine was just me just being a multicultural family going grocery shopping. And at the end, like I always get, are you the nanny? Are you like, are you, do you run a daycare? Like these can't all be your kids. Like, do you know what causes all these kids? And then at the end I wrote, Hey, 911. I think I'm, I'm, I'm really, I think there's been a kidnapping. I've had people following me through the store and like, kind of like making sure like oh like she's completely like she's in the cart and I remember this yeah so I was in Walmart I was buying my son his fifth jacket because he lost his lost four jackets in school and I was over it I was like Drew I'm gonna get a jacket and I'm gonna like write his name in it so I'm in Walmart yelling at Drew because I'm mad not yelling at Drew but I'm yelling because I'm mad that my son has lost four jackets in a row and my daughter's just in the cart it was just me and her because I wanted us to spend some time I like to pick one kid just so we can go to the store and then they get to pick a treat and it's just me and her and I'm going through the it's like a little boy aisle and I'm like looking for jackets and then all of a sudden you you can kind of feel when someone's like what looking at you and I see like this guy and I'm just like oh that's weird like I don't see him really looking at any of the clothes but whatever so I move around a little bit more and then I still see him kind of like following me so I'm, I'm super paranoid I'm like okay let me go in the girls area and then just see what he does same thing, kind of like leisurely following me where he thinks he's like doing where it's like. Were you getting so freaked out? Sudden, like really freaked out? I'd be so terrified. Yes. Because yeah. at first you start to think like you hear all the stories where you think like someone's following you, you have a kid and then they're like trying to like kidnap your kid. But then I realized like he wasn't, he was afraid that I had kidnapped my daughter. That's pretty much what he's like. 
this seems weird. This looks different. There, there's no way. Like, and so it wasn't until my daughter started saying, "Mommy, are we leaving yet?" Like, "Mom, I want to go home." That you could kind of see him, like, kind of like back, back off a little bit, and he kept like just watching interaction. But I noticed as soon as my daughter started saying, "Like, mommy, like, let's go home. Can we go home? I'm, I'm hungry," kind of thing. That he kind of like backed up, but like he was following me throughout the whole store, and like you can kind of like because I've gotten it so often, like people following us or just like seeing like our family looks different or seeing me with, they just know it looks different and it's not the, it's not what they typically see. I've gotten, I've been really good at noticing when people are just uncomfortable or they notice something different. And so no one ever wants to say anything. Um, well, I take it back. I have had people say anything, but a lot of the times I've had people say nothing and they're just following and watching us. And I've had a woman's like, Oh, like you're the, like they ask all the intrusive questions because they think, Oh, if I ask questions, maybe I'll for like be forthright and say like, Oh no, I'm her mom. Or I'll just say they're like, no, I'm not the dick. Like, no, I'm not a daycare. No, I'm not a nanny. And then I'll just walk away. But I've had one person's like, so where's her mom? I'm like, I'm right here. And she's like, no, like her mom. I'm just like, yeah, I just told you. Um, she's like, well, these can't, like, even this kid, like, you're her mom. And I'm like, well, these are all my kids. When I said these are all my kids, I meant they're like all the ones here that you see me with. And so you could tell she's super uncomfortable. And she wants to say something. I'm just like, well, thanks, you know, thanks for asking all the intrusive questions. You have a good day. Bye. And it, people ask the weirdest things they point at my daughter like you're not really her mom all the time to the point where I'm like do you not realize you're saying this in front of a kid like you're putting ideas in her head because you're uncomfortable you're not used to seeing something and that's the thing that makes it the the hardest for me because as an adult I can kind of understand it and I understand like yeah when you usually see transracial adoption you don't see a black mom with a white daughter or a white child you always see it as the opposite as white parents with black children Angelina and Madonna it's like you know that's a lot of people's idea of adoption so many you there's Angelina Jolie um like Madonna Sandra Bullock I think Ty Burrell too, he's adopted transracially. So you always, in media, you see the opposite. I mean, here, even this is us. You see, like, you Rebecca, and I can't remember the dad, I feel so bad, who adopted Randall. Like, you always see the opposite. You don't see it the way we've done it. And so I get that it's different, but just because it's different doesn't give you the right to say something. And you're not entitled to know something because you're uncomfortable or it's not you're not used to it. Yeah, that's so difficult because yeah, I, I think about how I'd want to react in your position because I think it would be so hard not to get your backup. And I would probably get my backup all the time. Like, I, I don't know how I deal with that. How do you personally deal with that? Like, do you kind of serve it back to them or do you try to keep yourself cool? So when my kids are around, I try to keep it cool. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have the luxury to like go crazy and go off on uh, like on people, but I also don't want my children to see. I don't want them to see me in that way because I don't want my daughter to have to feel like she's a burden, or I don't want her to feel like. But online, 
I definitely go off. I definitely let people realize because they like, they don't have to see that stuff. And if they were to see it, they'll be a lot older when it, by the time they do are able to see some of that stuff, they'll be older. They'll be able to understand and be able to ask me questions. But like uh, in person, I, I am not like the nicest, but I don't go off as much as I would like to because I have my children around and I do know that I don't have the luxury to be able yeah. to go off like any other person would be able to. And of course, you don't owe anybody nice. Nobody owes yes. anybody nice, especially if they are treating you like that and interviewing you without knowing you. And yeah. Mm -hmm. And now when it comes to yeah. like race aside, even when it comes to adoption, do you find yourself having is, you know, because they're, they're all getting older, like your daughter's getting older now and she's understanding of a lot more. And does she have many questions? Because I know we were considering adoption at one point and like I had signed up for like all the uh, Canadian websites for adoption. And I was mm -hmm. really, we were really thinking about it now. Like we've, we have two kids and I just, I can't do anymore, but uh, you know, I understand. <laughs> it was, it was something that I was really thinking about and that was bringing me a lot of comfort to consider doing. And I was just thinking like I go to bed every night and I'd like, okay, how would I address this when it comes up? How would I address that? And one of the things I kept thinking about was like, how do I address questions when my adoptive kid is getting older about their life and about why we adopted them and everything? And it was something that I just, I couldn't even picture that conversation because I don't know how it would go. I haven't read enough literature or studies on what the, the best way to approach it. So how do you approach conversations like that? I approach things in a very realistic and um, I try, like I said, I try to keep things to their maturity level, mm -hmm. but I always feel like honesty is the best policy. And so there are times where like my daughter uh, who's white, she asked like when everything was happening with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, she kept saying like, she's like, I know things were different, but why is it like people realizing people who are different are fighting about the fact that they're different because she knows in our family, we find it in a way of like, man, like it's so cool that we're different. It would be so boring if we all look the same. We get to, we get to learn and we get to like, we, we get to experience so many different things because we're so different. And so she sees people using the differences in a negative way. That was like, that was really hard for her because she had only seen it in a positive way or for the most part in a positive way. But then also like my, my biracial daughter, like for her, it was really hard because I teach my kids black history. Like I teach them not only U.S. history, but I like to teach them black history. And she one day was just like, like, mom, so like me being like black or, and she's like, but I know I'm mixed and bi or biracial. She's like, well, so does that mean like in a different time, like I would have like most likely been enslaved? And I'm just like, yeah, like if we were living in a different time and with different laws, like we like we would have been enslaved. And like she had a really tough time about that because she knew like that were like she knows like there were white people who purposely wanted to keep black people enslaved and she struggled with that and so we had to have conversations with her about it but I also know like okay even though she's the only one that wanted to talk about it this is a conversation I should be having with all my kids and so I remember we all sat down we ended up talking about it and 
it's hard because you're just like a lot of the questions you like your kids are having, you sometimes have a lot of the times you don't always have the answers. And, um, and then sometimes it's so hard to even explain to like a seven-year-old or a six-year-old, like all these really big um, events, really big feelings, really, like all, all these really big things. And you're having to like explain it to a kid and you're just trying to make it where you don't want them, you don't want them to have like, in a way you don't want them to like only think so negatively about the world because there's so many great things about it, but you also want them to understand like the past and understand how, even though that was a past, there's so people who feel like this today and you still may have to encounter certain things. So, like we might have to, might not have to deal with slavery, but we still have to deal with racism and microaggressions and stuff like that. It's really hard because like I could, I could probably lie and say, yeah, I figured it out because we're an interracial couple. Like we totally know what we're doing always, every every day. In reality, there are some days that are really, really hard. So there's some days where like I'm like, man, I don't ever want to have that conversation because I don't like seeing like how my kids are like realizing how the world is not like this fairy tale or anything like that. And it's really hard because the whole thing is hard. It's not super easy. There's no simple answer. And even if there was a simple answer, people have their own agency and going to do what they want. And so there's no way what we can kind of tell, like, this is the way we're going to fix things. There are going to be people who are going to be against it and not want to do it either. So I think the best thing that we figured out is that we tell them like, hey, mommy doesn't always have the answer. But this is how I feel. These are the facts as to how things are happening. And this is how I feel about certain things. Or this is how daddy feels about it. Or this is how we both feel about it. How do you feel about it? We have it as an open conversation. And some things that we're able to, some things they're able to understand very easily. And some things, it takes them a couple of times, a couple of times where we have to revisit it. But it's an ongoing conversation that we're always learning and um, revisiting. No, I think you've said so many important things there. You know, first being that as parents, we don't always have the answer. And I think that Mm -hmm. our generation of parents is taking that on. I think we're one of the first generations to take it on where we're not like the all-knowing parents. And it's okay to say, hey, I don't know. Let's find out together. Let's look it up. Let's open a book, Uh whatever. Let's learn. And it's good to admit that you don't know something. There's power in that, right? Because then it's showing your kids, modeling to your kids, hey, not knowing something is not the end of the world. You can learn it and then become better. And then you can learn more when you have more Mm -hmm. questions. And it's such a good way, I think, to model that. And secondly, I like how you said you approach things with realism and honesty, but also hope. And I think doing that and approaching things with realism and optimism in, in certain senses is so important. Like, you know, I, I have a lot of conversations with my friends about wanting to raise like change makers, difference makers in the community, mm-hmm. in the world, within their family, whatever it is, like on a micro or macro scale. And I think the best way to do that and the only way to do that is to do it by saying, here are the facts, whether it's in regards to climate, to gender equality, to race, to whatever, like whatever you say, here are the facts. Here's how it is where we live. Here's how it is in other places here, how it is for our family. Here's how it is for other people. But hey, we can do something about it. Here are some ways we can do something about it. And I think that's the only way 
to make things go forward. Like I had to tell my daughter that unicorns didn't exist at one time. And then we went to the zoo (laughs) and I showed her a rhino and I said, hey, honey, people actually thought a long time ago that these were unicorns, the rhinos. And we were looking at them together and talking about, so unicorns kind of do exist, but they look different than we imagined. And there's realism Mm -hmm. and then there's hope there and there's some beauty in Mm -hmm. that. And I think that that is so important when you raise kids, right? And I I really really like how you approach that. Um, And when it comes to adoption, I'm curious if there was one aspect of adoption, because you said that you and your husband, like it had been on the table for a while, right? Was there mm-hmm. one aspect that was more difficult than you assumed it would be? And was there an aspect that was easier than you predicted it would be? Um, I th- so I think the part that was the hardest was you, so everyone thinks like once you adopt, right, there's just like, oh, they just join your family and it's just seamless as like, oh, like you're the mom, that's the child, like boom, that's it, where it is. When reality I think it's like any other type of relationship where you gradually learn more and more about each other. You gradually like, like, it's like, like you, when you have a baby, right. You love that baby automatically, but you still get to learn more and more about them. And so when they start saying mama, or when they start, you start seeing their personality more, or when they, when you start realizing like they have certain interests, that are different from your other children or different from yourself. You fall in love with them more. And it's like this whole, it's this whole like relationship where it's as time goes on, you love and love who they are, who they've become more. And the same thing with adoption. When this child joins your family, she automatically was part of my family. There's no question about it. But like, I can tell you the way I love her then is completely different than the way I love her now. I love her even more now than I did four or five years ago when she joined our family. And I didn't even think that was possible. I mean, going through the day that we officially adopted and like right after like the judge officially uh, like named her as her parents, like that day is like one of those days where like, even thinking about it now, I'm gonna cry. It was such, it was like in a moment that brought us closer together. And then seeing her be able to go through a hard moment where I remember she was just like, were we homeschooled and she was just working on a math problem. If you had asked her to work, work on this math problem years ago, she would have had a meltdown. And that day I asked her, can you just go back and check this? And she ended up going back, taking a couple deep breaths because I could tell she wanted to really cry. And she ended up like a light bulb moment in her head. She ended up fix, fixing the problem and brought it back to me. And it was such a simple moment. And my other my, my other children have done it like so many times. Mm-hmm. Like, like no, but I knew for her that was a big moment. She had dealt with trauma. Problem solving was really hard. Like any type of problem solving for her is really hard. Usually all she wants to do is have a meltdown. And seeing her be able to like go back and fix it and come back to me, it's like, huh, I just made a little oopsie. I remember that. Like, I just made a little oopsie. Made me be so proud of who she was and how much she had gone through. And like those little moments made me just fall in love with her even more. And so, like, it was hard in the sense of, like, people think 
a child comes into your family and it's seamless and it's just like this and it's like no it's just like any other relationship when you become friends with somebody when you marry somebody time goes on and you as you get to know each other more you fall in love with that person even more and that's how it was for me and so that's one of like the hard things because people just kind of thought oh like you're the mom now like everything's easy and it's like no you're getting to learn this new whole person and you're having to you're having to just go through that and and that was that was one of the hard things but it's also one of the most beautiful things for me just getting to know who she was and becoming her mom and be and I'm the lucky person to be her mom and getting to raise her and be helping her be the best version of herself like that's like the best thing and one of the easy things I think one of the easy things is just seeing her interact my favorite things just seeing her interact with her siblings and our family because I mean she's she has so many differences with her siblings but she has a lot of similarities like her twin sister like the so uh my daughter uh my blonde daughter she has um she's super creative which is she's our most creative kid uh, I have no creativity in my bone like zero and I'm not trying to lie or make myself seem like humble I'm bad at drawing <laughs> I'm really bad at painting I'm not a creative person and she's super creative but then she's also like and so she has um like in a how can I say this she inspires her other sisters to draw and like be very creative in their mind so like like my other twin uh likes to read and will just read but like now like they play barbies and they play and like before i didn't think like they were i'm not really interested in barbies and so when they play they have so much imagination like imagination and creativity mm-hmm. and i know they get that from her and so that's the really beautiful thing for me is just seeing them interact with each other mm-hmm. and like and like be siblings because I know a lot of people would be like well they're so different and they don't have the same parents and all this stuff like they must be so different and I'm like no you'd be surprised like they get along really well they have a lot of similarities and I feel like they act like any other siblings would mm-hmm. and you know in hearing you talk about you know the struggles and overcoming the struggles of just problem solving like with that little math problem I thought that Mm -hmm. was such an amazing anecdote just for how just because a relationship is different, and I think this goes so well with your modern all-American family, just because a situation is different than what we're used to seeing, what we see on TV, what we see in movies, what we see next door at our neighbor's house, right? It doesn't make anything less meaningful. And you think about the connections you develop with bio kids versus adoptive kids, and I'm just... I don't have the experience. I'm just saying this kind of taking on what you've just talked about. Mm-hmm. The milestones that you hit with your kids are different. They're totally mm-hmm. different. And it brings so much beauty to that relationship because of the differences, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 think that, I think that is so beautiful. And what I kind of want to end on, Gina, is what are your hopes for how people see family and the idea of family in the coming years you know I hope when they see our family they're realizing like 
the definition or like the visual definition of what they think a typical family is, I hope that they start to realize like there are so many different families than the white mom with white dad or black mom with black dad with two kids and a dog. I hope they realize like there's so many there's so many different like different definitions or visual definitions of families. Like I hope they start to think of like adopt the adoptive families. I hope they hope to start to see like LGBTQ like families where there's two moms and two dads. And I want them to like when they think of family, I want them to be like, oh what what specific type of family or what what kind? Like it shouldn't be like the 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 very typical family that we automatically see in our heads like we do today and so I not only do I want them to think like there are different types of families but also realize like even though we may look different we are we do and think and feel and have to go through the same things that other families do so that even though like like I said we we are we look different but we still have to deal with fights between sisters because somebody ended up taking my Pokemon card or they picked my favorite Barbie and she knows that's my favorite Barbie <laughs> because she knows that's someone I sleep with every night kind of thing. Like we deal with the same things. We just don't look like the typical family. And that's, I mean, well, now we may be starting to look like the typical modern family. And um, I don't know. I think it's, it's crazy because I think about the time when I started my social media page like three or four years ago. When it was after we adopted, I had, like, I had no, there was no other families that looked like ours. And now being on social media and, like, being online and having this huge platform, I'm realizing there are a lot more of us. And there's and there will be more of us as, you know, as the days and years come on. And it makes me really excited because four years ago when we adopted, like, I felt so alone. I was like, are there other Black moms who have adopted or other interracial families, like, who have adopted? Like, there's not many of us there, and it seems like there's more and more. And then there's even more who have said, you know, I, you know, we just got married, and we are thinking about it. You guys have inspired us to realize, to show that we do need more diverse families adopting. We do need more people adopting, but just in just in the sense that we just need more diverse families. And it makes me happy because I felt so alone years ago where I felt like all the other moms, not that it was wrong, but they're all white. And I'm just like, I have to go through different things. So you guys, it would just be so nice to have someone who could understand some of the um some of the things that I go through. And now I feel like I have this huge online community of women and parents who have who are going through some of the things that I'm going through or maybe they haven't but they're so sympathetic to it and it's so nice that to know that they're that I've inspired other families who maybe don't even want to adopt but want to support other diverse families adopting and that makes me so happy because it no one wants to feel alone and I never want my family especially my my kiddos that feel like, well, we're so different in reality. We are, there are more families that are, are like ours. And it's just nice to know that I'm not alone. Yeah, I think that is so beautiful. And, you know, I highly recommend everybody, all these listeners go and check. You make great reels, Gina, too, that kind of <laughs> highlight all of these things. And I think you do it really well. And just to go and read your posts, Gina, where can they do that? Where can people find you on socials, online? 
So you can find us on Instagram at Gina Wilder. So J-E-E-N-A Wilder on Instagram. And then on TikTok, Hey There Wilders, where you can like see our funny antics and then see how different we are, but similar as well. And um, you can also um, find me on my blog as well, but I'm not very active on there. <laughs> hey there it's hard. That's a lot. Hey there, Wilders. It's a lot. It's a lot. I My first priority are always my kiddos. And so that's my second job. My favorite first job is being a mom to my five little kiddos. And so that's where you guys can find me. Gina, thank you so much for being so candid and sharing so much of just your life, your experience, your heart today like I've been looking forward to this conversation like crazy and I told you I've had a crappy few days this was the highlight of my life since Friday when I got that makes me feel so special so thank you no I I truly I truly appreciate it and it's been really nice getting to know you but all the best again thank you so much and I hope you guys will start feeling better I stinks I'm sure we will You guys will get there. You will. It's just it's things as a mom, when you have to take care of everybody, it feels never ending. So I am going to be thinking about you and my thoughts will be with you. I appreciate this it. really difficult time. <laughs> but Gina, truly, thank you so much. It was really nice meeting you. It was nice meeting you too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Good interview. Thank you. Gina, she got a little wilder than I thought she was going to get. Nice one. No, I, I had such a good time talking to her. She was like just so friendly you know when you just like feel warmth through the through the zoom screen i do and i feel warmth right now because it is the mailbag segment this is where things get hot they get heavy and very informative more truthfully speaking well the most informative question we're starting off with what did you do as a kid that would be considered dangerous today i can think of two things that parents i wouldn't want my kids doing one of them is just playing out going anywhere in the neighborhood with zero way to contact my parents, which was one of the best things about my childhood. But also as a parent, that would scare the S out of me. Oh yeah, I'm out there riding my bike, going God knows where with God knows who, scraping my knee, getting terribly injured, riding with no helmet, climbing trees. Trading your bike for a rat? I traded a bike for a rat, accidentally dropped the rat, the rat died, then the person I traded the rat for would not return my bike. My mom tried getting the bike back and the parent was in cahoots with the kid and didn't want to give the the bike back. Uh, I built a treehouse once, like, I don't know, like, so high in the sky. If you fell off, you'd be dead on impact. And this was a rickety treehouse. I'm hanging by a thread up in the sky. The it, it was. I'm trying to think of how high it would be. Like the height of if our house was stacked on each other, two and a half times. That's how high the the okay, treehouse. That is. is terrifying. It's mostly terrifying because Shane, I know what you're like with a hammer. I know what you're like when it comes to home repairs. If I can sloppily hammer it in. I can get the nail to go through the wood and into the tree. And I I just don't care how it looks. I just need it to be sturdy. So I would put an inordinate, oh ugly amount of nails in. But I'm telling you, that peg was in there. See, that is so scary. One of, one of the things that came to mind first, actually, when I saw this question, you know those spinny things at the parks? I don't even know what they're called. It's like some type of carousel thing. And then it just goes so fast. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. They, they used to be metal. Yes. Yeah. So we used to play on one every single day for hours. It was metal. And, you know, you'd pack 
packed kids on. There'd be 20 kids on it. And then you just get somebody's dumb dad to just push it as hard as he can because his dad has no idea of, you know, what could go wrong. And then inevitably one kid ends up getting terribly injured and then ruining the fun for everybody until the next day when it's seemingly been forgotten about and everybody piles back on. That was my favorite toy at the park we used to hang out at. Not toy, park thing. It was the best. But like, I would not let Lucy and Betty on something like that now. Like, I don't want to risk them paralyzing themselves. No, I don't want to risk that either. Maybe when they're old enough to know. But (laughs) when you see like a three-year-old on toys like that or equipment like that, it's not good. But I used to climb mountains with my friend, like the side. We'd go hiking in restricted areas you're not really supposed to, deep in the woods. And my one friend fell off the mountain and needed to get – he broke his collarbone and we had to carry him back to his parents' house. And You're so lucky you're alive. So this Mm -hmm. is why the Norm MacDonald hit you earlier. And you were thinking about how lucky you are to be here and how weird it is that you're here. It's because of this, Shane. Well, it turns out – what I learned from this documentary too is – that Norm had cancer in 1987, also stomach cancer, oh, wow. which made him have a different appreciation for things. Oh, now, it's a cool documentary. It's online. Uh, just came online April 20th of 22. It's 25 minutes long, but it, it's cool. Uh, next question. How did you know that it was time for kids? Like, how do we know that it was time to try for kids? I think we were just ready. You just felt like it. And it's you can't consider... I don't think necessarily finances because you're never going to feel ready in that regard. But if you can keep a roof over your head and, you know. Yeah, that well, that's a big part of it. We can't downplay that. If you yeah. can keep a roof over your head and we were in a situation where we could buy a house and it felt ready and it got to the point when maybe partying was boring because we'd done yeah. every partying every way you possibly could and everything felt like Groundhog Day every weekend we needed to level up and start making life more challenging. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, it was so exciting to be like, all right, like, is this it? Are we going to start trying? Because it's scary, right? Because you try not to get pregnant for so long. And then to finally say, okay, we're going to do it. It's so exciting. Like that time was thrilling for me. Yeah. I don't know if it was thrilling. It was felt dangerous though. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. It was like thrilling in like a dangerous, fun way. For me, it leaned a little scary, though, because <laughs> the implications of it were unknown. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to rob a bank, and if I get away with it, I get all this money. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to rob a bank, and <clears throat> what if I end up going to jail mm. not liking the fact that I robbed the bank? It was like that a little bit. Yeah. No, I can see that. Did you uh, get any questions that you had to do research today? I do. Or are you phoning it in? No, no, no. I don't care. I'm, I'm in. I'm just. I got them, but I, just, I got lots, so I'm just uh, starting with some easy guys. Oh, lots! How many are we doing? No, no, we got to. Well, we won't do all of them. We'll save some of them for next week, but we got lots. Okay. Next question: When you're feeling low, how do you recharge your batteries? I do need to say that sometimes I feel like what I need is like a drink and i think that's the go-to for a lot of people like a glass of wine or something and you know what sometimes it is but i felt the lowest i have in a while yesterday like just yesterday i was so tired i didn't have a good day i had a terrible sleep the night before and i was a wreck at bedtime and felt this exact same today 
for the whole day until I got did exercise for the first time in ages. And that made me feel like, honestly, it made me feel like a different person. I was killing myself and like I wasn't enjoying it while I was doing it. But 10 minutes after when I finally caught my breath again, I felt phenomenal for the first time in two days. Yeah, working out is the only thing that actually gives back to me. Mm-hmm. The drink does make me feel better in the moment and then worse after. So it, it doesn't pay me back the way I'd want it to. A lot of people say, like, don't drink when you're upset. Only drink when you're celebrating or happy right. or feeling good. I think there could be some truth to that. It's Absolutely. hard for me to abide by that, but I try to. <laughs> and that's why seed lip's so good, too, because it oh, gives exactly. you that feel without any detrimental things and and doesn't mess with your sleep which is a big thing oh that's huge for me i I cannot sleep after we go drinking that's like anytime you and i go on a like two-nighter trip somewhere but i mean terrible sleeps even if you have a couple though it throws off your circadian rhythm making it yeah that's exactly it uh the next question is how to make breastfeeding and pumping not painful so this is something that any breastfeeding can, mother... Can I guess? <laughs> do you want to guess? Nipple lube. Nipple lube. You got it. What's that called, though? I just call it nipple lube. You don't remember the name for it? it well, at Costco, it just says when you need some, I just get the big <laughs> vat of it. It's no Swing name. nipple lube? Yeah. Uh, no, so it's lanolin. Honestly, I tried everything, and I had a really rough go... With both kids, but especially with Lucy before I really understood how to breastfeed and, you know, found a hold that worked for me in a, a latch, knew how to get that out of the kid. Uh, and again, with Betty, it still hurt for the first little while just because new kid, right? So their latch is going to have different problems. And I think the most important thing, and I was looking online to confirm this with lactation consultants and my, you know, consolidate my own experience but get yourself like the best nipple cream that you can. For me, that was the Medela brand extra strength lanolin. Some people swore by Earth Mama stuff. Other people swore by whatever. I swear by Medela extra strength lanolin. It was the only thing that helped. And I put that on like it was, I don't know. What do you put on a lot, Shane? What's a good analogy here? I put butter on sometimes. Bread, mostly. <laughs> Like I put a lot of butter on my bread. Peanut butter. I put it on like I would put peanut butter on toast. Just slathered it on. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, next, massage. If you are having problems, because if, especially if your kid has bad latch or you don't have proper hold, then you could start to begin to get clogged ducts. So if you can massage those out while you are breastfeeding, you know, whether you're just using your hands, whether you're doing it in a shower, whether you are, you know, using some of that lanolin, that can be so helpful as well. You look like you want to say something. I have a joke. I want to hear it. Okay. What's a pirate's favorite letter of the alphabet? You're not going to R. You think it'd be R, but it's the C that I love. <laughs> Where did you hear that? I don't know, podcast or something. That's goofy. But you don't I like, like it? it? Yeah. Yeah. It's considered one of the best jokes no, of like all it. time. It Children's is. jokes, yeah. No, it's good. Uh, next, proper hold and latch. So where we live in Ontario, you can actually get a lactation consultant to come to your house for free. So check the government's website where you live, your municipal website. 
see if any services like that exist for you because it's amazing. Like the lactation consultant came over, took me to different places in my house that I typically fed the baby and showed me the best way to sit, how to hold my arms. And it was really illuminating. I found that so helpful. Um, but I mean, you can get all this stuff on YouTube, get it on YouTube. You can get it on TikTok. Like you can get this stuff everywhere and it is so helpful, but those are things to watch out for. But the next question, if you're sitting next to somebody random on the plane, are you the type of person to start a conversation? No, never. Absolutely not. That's, you wouldn't? That's unheard of. You, oh, no. You? Yeah, well, I put it out there. No, you wouldn't. I've been I with do. you. You don't do that. I do. Okay. But if I'm sitting with you, Shane, I talk to you. If I'm not sitting with anybody and I got a flight ahead of me, I'll like, you know, make a timid joke, be like, oh, and just say one goofy little thing and then maybe they'll start talking. I, but then the problem is that you want that person to talk the perfect amount, which is not too much. I took first class once and that was fun to talk to the mm. person because it was me and this guy... And it didn't seem like the guy took first class before either. And we were kind of excited like that we got wine and we got a little bit drunk together. We were going to Hawaii and it was like real first class. It wasn't that like, you know, I don't know business. what the difference between business. Yeah, it was like you lay down and yeah, me and that guy really had fun. See, on that same flight, I sat with somebody who I would have thought should have been in first class because I think his family's loaded, but it was Fred Funk, who's a PGA Tour golfer, mm-hmm. sat beside his kid who was like learning to be a golfer. He was in uh, university. So he was like golfing for his university, like varsity team. And I was shocked that he wasn't in first class. Hmm. But there was him on the one way, on the way home, and then on the way to Hawaii on that flight. I didn't talk to the person uh beside me but i spoke to the person two seats ahead of me because i saw her watching a movie she was watching jurassic park and then i just like tuckered right in because i didn't bring anything with me to watch and the plane didn't give you entertainment so i was riding first class and alex was stuck in coach (laughs) and this is because i had um one not one i guess I i had a sponsorship opportunity years ago where sailor jerry sponsored me to go to Hawaii to document cool. things on on the Much Music's Instagram page. So I had to document my first class experience on the plane because I thought that would be fun and funny and interesting for people who had never flown first class. And Alex wanted to come on the trip too, so she just bought a coach flight. Yeah. But then the people were really nice. Like the flight attendants had Shane and I. Like Shane told them that it was our anniversary, but no, yeah, <laughs> the work yeah. thing, just so that they treat me nice. I think I said coach. honeymoon. Yeah, you did. And because um, I was drunk, so they would bring me like nice champagne, champagne like yeah. from the front, and then they'd bring me like the nice desserts. I think they even brought me a nice meal. They brought you out from the coach yeah. and brought you into like the cabin, and it was weird. They they had us like make out and yeah. drink champagne and. <laughs> They had a thing of like cake, was, like, or cake or something. Yeah, like with like strawberries on, like cheesecake. But they let us hang out in the cabin area and they like sequestered us away and gave us like private time in the cabin. Do you think they were expecting us to hook up? No, it, they just, they loved, they loved you. They were really cute. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. If it was just anyone else, they wouldn't have cared. But they were like very drawn to you and wanted you to be near me. Yeah, it was super cute. That was like a super fun flight. Uh, Next question. 
Have your kids ever walked in on you while you were getting it on? If so, how do you react and what did you say? So this hasn't happened yet. So I, I looked things up, but Shane, again, you look like you have something before I get into like what I found online. Well, I opened my mouth. It's not just like you're the master of reading faces. No, you your eyes are furrowed and you look thoughtful. Well, you're lying. No, that's how you look. Oh, just stop, Alex. I'm saying you're lying about walking in on a, the kid. Okay, we had an almost situation, but it didn't. On Mother's Day. Yeah. And you, because you leave the door open. Well, so heard- Lucy is yelling for us. And you leave the door open. Why would you do that? I wasn't thinking. It's not good. I wish she was in the other room watching TV. We were just in a moment of passion. Yeah. That wasn't good. Well, here's the thing. She didn't. She didn't see anything. Yeah. But she could have. And then really when I saw this question, I was like, okay, like how do you handle that? Because I honestly don't know. So the first thing is <laughs> from several websites that I looked at, they said, get a lock. First thing you do, get a bedroom lock and remember to use it. So it's like, well, too late for that, I guess, if you're looking this up. Second thing, stay cool and collect your thoughts. Because I think it's so easy. But like, oh, honey, let's, let's go in the kitchen. Everybody's like putting clothes back on. Everything it could be very awkward. But stay cool and collect your thoughts. Tell your kid to go wait in the hallway, essentially, or go back where they were. Get your stuff together and then go and meet them. Next thing is not to assume that your kid saw anything or much of anything, right? Because then that could lead your conversation into a place that it doesn't need to go and divulge too much. Uh, And especially if your kid is like preschool age, even if they got an eyeful, they don't know what they're seeing, likely. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you could just say that you were hugging. So you can keep things age appropriate for children older than five. So that's like preschool age, right? Like if Lucy saw someone, we just say we're hugging, whatever. Kids older than that, then you you need to start giving them an appropriate explanation, you know, depending on their age level. Because at this age, like kids start to learn so quickly, especially when they're in school, they're around other kids who like to bring little tidbits to school and think they're the badass. You know what I mean? And they like to be the ones to like say dick first in front of their friends for a laugh or whatever it is. But your kids learn more at an earlier age than we realize. So you should approach the topic honestly. uh, And this is what so many like psychologists that I was reading said about it. So your ultimate goal should be to answer their questions without, again, oversharing, right? And just ultimately taking away shame and making it a comfortable topic that they can come back to if they want, even if you don't want to. And lastly, what are yours and Shane's top podcasts to listen to? I'm leaving this one entirely to Shane. I only listen to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I don't, honestly, I don't have a favorite podcast that I listen to. I just listen to podcasts to go to sleep. Oh, wait, wait, no, that's not true. This is important is my favorite podcast. It's by the guys who did Workaholics. Whether you like that show or not, to be honest, I've never watched a season of Workaholics. I've seen an episode or two. I love it, even though like the episodes I've seen, I loved. But as a podcast, I find it the most entertaining, fun, loose. It's topical, but it never gets heavy. 
it just lifts my mood. I laugh out loud. It's probably the only podcast I laugh out loud to. And then any other podcast I only use to help me doze off to sleep, podcast or people talking in general, put me to sleep better than any app, like these meditation apps, whatever. I've tried them all. Regular podcasts are the only thing that actually do the trick right now. And and I used to listen to, um, we interviewed this woman who had the- Oh, of course. Nothing much happens. Nothing much happens is an awesome podcast for going to sleep. And she just tells- I won't say boring stories. They're just perfectly constructed stories to help you sleep. Uh, so, yeah, that's my favorite. She was awesome, by the way. Awesome podcast guest. But she writes these like mundane, I'd say, stories. But they're special. They're, 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 they're warm. crafted in a, a very nice way. She's a, a talented writer. Mm-hmm. But, Shane, boy, that's it. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for listening to This, this Family, Family Tree, Tree podcast, podcast. Episode 129.